December 13th, 1999. Hearing on motion for contempt, case number 97-2001. Present were Judge Nick Ficarota, Anne McQueen, Leroy Merkel, Don Stanley, Craig Rothbard, and Carol Lewis. Craig's opening statement was confusing, but the issue was simple. In November 1998, we had negotiated a settlement stipulation that had been ratified by the court and we had complied with all of the terms as they pertained to us, but McQueen refused to quit claim back the properties and refused to refund any of the money in Merkel's account. Craig said that the deeds weren't an issue when, in fact, they have been for the last year. He said what it really comes down to is a dispute over how much money they are to return to us because McQueen doesn't want to pay any of the conservatorship costs that were prorated to her properties. However, he was not clear on why there is a dispute. We had expected that since the judge had already ruled on this issue, and since the stipulations were very clear, that McQueen's motion would be moot after presentment of those facts. Instead, Judge Nick Ficarota lost control of his courtroom by allowing McQueen to ramble on for an hour and a half. She made no sense at all because she has no truthful case to argue and could only hope for a favorable ruling if she could confuse the judge. He admitted that she had done that. It was obvious that the judge had no idea what was going on in the courtroom, and the audio tapes will prove that. He allowed McQueen to enter into evidence a bunch of self-serving documents that were copies and computerized printouts with no testimony available as to their origin or authenticity. This just further confused the case and unfairly portrays me as a criminal. We kept objecting, Stanley more than Rothbard, that all of her evidence is inadmissible because by her own admission, it was derived from the initial stages of the settlement agreement. This should have made it clear that the settlement agreement was the end result and thus to be relied on. During a brief moment of comprehension, the judge asked McQueen if the stipulation was her agreement and she said it was. During another such moment of clear thinking, he asked Merkel why he had not signed the properties back to me and was told it was because I prepared the quitclaim deeds. Stanley said that he had suggested Merkel prepare his own transfer documents but that the judge never asked him why he did not do so. McQueen brought to the hearing a bunch of blank ones that she said she wanted to use, but they were not executed, and no one asked why she didn't just sign them and be done with it. On at least three occasions on tape, McQueen said we had discussed her accounts payable cards at the settlement table. She claimed that we all said we should pay her everything in the account, but that we didn't mention it in the stipulation. On the contrary, the stipulation stated plainly that the 50000 I gave her was in full settlement of all claims. Stanley said that we had spent all day working on the wording to everyone's satisfaction before all signed it. He said it contains the full agreement. McQueen kept saying that the 50000 was for her to release the slander suit against me when there was no such suit pending and she never could have brought such a suit since I never identified her and I didn't say anything that was not proven true. Her reason for even including the wording in the stipulation was to try and avoid being taxed on the income. No one brought that up. The judge did not understand how Merkel got the money in his account in the first place. I was not afforded the opportunity to clear the matter. After Doug and I were appointed conservators, McQueen continued to go around collecting rents, mortgage payoffs, 
and tax certificate payoffs, but rather than turn the money into the conservators, she put it in Merkel's account. Merkel refused to ever give an accounting of the money, and that is why the Wendy Williams case was lost. We had no proof that she had paid off, so we foreclosed. If this had been made clear to the judge, I think he might have viewed the whole issue a little more clearly. From the very beginning, McQueen and Merkel have acted in contempt of court. McQueen said several times on tape that she had Stolly's permission to do this, and Merkel said he was providing accountings to the conservators, but both statements are lies. If Merkel were forced to provide an accounting, it would be clear that he took the conservatorship money after the conservators were appointed by the court. He claims he had to do it because of his client's instructions, but I find it hard to believe that her orders are more compelling than the court's. The judge was obviously confused as to why we were holding three properties and a mortgage of McQueen's within the conservatorship. I may have been polite for too long, letting him get too far confused by McQueen's babble, but finally couldn't take any more and said it was because the mortgage was titled to Don Lewis, so why would I even suspect it to be her property? I did not go into the fact that the three houses were all paid for from my bank account, and that is why I thought they were mine. I didn't get to mention the fact that she had $600,000 in my properties in her name, without permission from me or Don. Stanley made a compelling argument saying that if McQueen wanted to renegotiate her settlement, that she should pay back the $65,000 and put everyone back into their original positions and start over, but that it was unfair for her to take the money and then try to hold the properties and money hostage to get more. I could tell this flew right over the judge's head. He couldn't even follow along in the exhibits, which were all copies of the recommendations he had already signed. He couldn't seem to grasp the fact that all of the negotiating was over and the order signed. Instead, he turned to me and asked if I'd be willing to give her the $6,000 she claimed was hers. I said no, because that $6,000 was included in the $50,000 I gave her. I thought that was pretty clear. The judge didn't get it. Over and over again, Rothbard and Stanley pointed the judge to the fact that the stipulations were done and the wording very clearly stated everyone's intent. All I can hope is that without McQueen and Merkel blowing smoke in his face, he will have the competence to read his own orders and file in our favor. What frustrates me is that my life and my business are at the mercy of this sort of incompetency. And then I have a timeline. September 9th, 1997. Conservatorship was agreed to before Judge Susan Sexton, Doug Stolley, and Carol Lewis were appointed co-conservators, and the order was signed on September 16, 1997. February 17, 1998, McQueen collects $26,517.20 from Wendell Williams via his daughter Wendy Williams for a debt owed to the conservatorship. She never reported this to the conservators. March 25, 1998, Merkel reports $7,530 in checks that McQueen picked up from my tenants and gave him. August 6, 1998, since we don't know Anne's pocketed the money, we foreclose against Wendy Williams. September 1, 1998, a year after collecting the money from Williams, McQueen, after collecting the money from Williams, McQueen issues a satisfaction to Williams, who she shares an office with 
but does not tell the conservators or the court. December 4th, 1998. Stipulations agreed to by all. Paragraph 2 states that Merkel is holding $86,381.43 of the estate's assets in his own bank account and that he was allowed to pay himself $15,000 from it. He was instructed to pay Anne McQueen $50,000 as full and final settlement and return the properties and the $21,381.43 in cash to the conservators. September 17, 1998, that stipulation was ratified by the judge. January 20, 1999, McQueen has caused $22,626.40 in attorney's fees just since March of 1999. August 25, 1999, the Wendy Williams case is dismissed and I'm charged $750, even though Judge Harlan found that McQueen was to blame. October 1, 1999, McQueen is disputing only the charges against Gashler and Thomas Circle and hasn't even come up with the accounts payable idea yet. September 2, 1999, we sent the deed and assignment of mortgage docs to McQueen for the third time. By this time, she is asking for a hearing on the accounts payables. February 29, 2000, Judge Sexton sustains our objections to Merkel's erroneous report. May 19th of the year 2000, the order was recorded on the above. June 26, 2000, case management conference and Merkel quit. September 11, 2000, two years after the stipulation agreement was signed and ratified, we come before the court for the umpteenth time because McQueen is still holding out the $21,381.43 in Merkel's account. By this time, I've spent over $35,000 in lawyers and court costs trying to recover the assets. September 22, 2000, Judge Susan Sexton orders McQueen and Merkel to turn over the money and the properties. January 10, 2001, letter from Rothbard to Merkel asking them to comply with the order, despite Merkel now asking to withdraw as, as McQueen's attorney. January 11, 2001, Merkel returns the $10,790.83 he's been holding. February 12, 2001, in a letter from Rothbard to me, he notes that McQueen is being represented by Joe Fritz in the Wendy Williams case and may use him now that she has parted company with Merkel. March 19, 2001, hearing before Judge Sexton. June 13, 2001, a motion to compel and for contempt against McQueen were granted and Joe Fritz was her attorney. September 19, 2001, still trying to get Anne to comply, Fritz agreed to our settlement offer. April 18, 2002, McQueen via Fritz still refusing to respond. July 30, 2002, letter from Rothbard to me saying that Anne still hasn't signed the trust agreement pertaining to the life insurance policy. He notes in the letter, considering all of Don's property has been liquidated or used up in the conservatorship estate, there remains little, if anything, to probate upon the presumption of his death. So obviously that timeline was something that I had gone in and put in later, showing how this had progressed, even though this is an entry dated 1999. It has been such a battle to recover what was rightfully mine in the first place. The courts said that it was mine, ordered her to give it back, 
and I still had to fight her at such an extensive cost to me and all of the attorney's fees involved to try and get compliance after she had already agreed to everything.